0: you're listening to a podcast from the media motel coming up this week in episode
1: 564 pop stars and their dirty laundry the rise of hun culture and cutting up the dance floor with disco
2: edits that's all coming up after the only ones and another girl another planet It's always tempting to say this was a one-hit wonder, but it wasn't even a hit. Despite being issued several times, closest it got was reaching number 57 in the UK singles chart. Terrific single, originally from 1978. The only ones, another girl, another planet.
3: Yeah, I love that. It's it's perfect pop, isn't it? Really, it's it's just such a wonderful song. A song I wished I'd written, I think, because it just <laughs> makes perfect sense throughout.
2: Hello, thanks for joining us for Parish Council episode five hundred and sixty-four. I'm Terence Stackham, and well, it's the question everyone's been asking this oh, week. Here we go. <laughs> is she ready for Rishi, or is she <laughs> this for leader? Let's ask Juliet Harris.
3: I mean, how are we here, Sir Terence? For goodness' mm, sake, uh, I mean, is 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 that all you've got? You're Rishi. like saying to people. Not, not even
2: her real name. Do you know no, her real name is Mary Elizabeth Truss.
3: Oh, for goodness sake. Hmm. I mean, you know. It's her birthday
2: it's... tomorrow, by the way.
3: Well, I, I haven't organised anything. Oh, Obviously, I feel a bit a bad now. But anyway, yeah, I just, I just as my friend who's a young person would put it, I can't even when it comes yeah. to, to thinking about this particular um A mad parade, as our old pal Johnny Rotten would put it. But anyway, hello everybody. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, depending on where you are.
2: I I think they're terrible slogans, ready for Rishi Liz. I've I've written them a couple each in case they want to change it. Uh, Get on the bus with Liz Truss.
3: Nice, that's Uh, good.
2: uh, Busy Lizzie. Oh,
3: yeah. That
2: will Um, come up at some point. Lumberjacks, vote for Rishi Sunak.
3: Oh, and, I mean that's. I, I worry that's too niche. Are there uh, that okay. many lumberjacks around in this? Oh, same I've age? got
2: one more for him. Just see if this. Go is on. Rishi Sunak, I ain't no sad sack.
3: <laughs> I mean, he's you know he's trying to run a positive campaign. Yeah. That's probably the most operable of all of those four. Oh. But I'm afraid to say that's not a high bar. Uh,
2: yeah, that's true. That's true.
3: I would send it back to the copywriters if <laughs> you
2: can. Sometimes I wish I had the. Gargantuan self-belief and confidence of Roger Waters, Mm. he left Pink Floyd thirty-seven years ago, half a lifetime ago, and occasionally tootles around the world performing an album that was released forty-three years ago. That's with
3: with nobody else that was involved in that. No, of course not. No, just
2: Roger Waters. It's only him that counts. Um, Really, in an interview with a Canadian newspaper uh, in the last week, Roger Waters complained that the Globe and Mail, um, based in Toronto, reviewed gigs by The Weeknd and Drake, but overlooked Waters, this is not a drill tour. Um, By the way, VIP packages available at $600, you don't get to meet Roger Waters. Um, Oh,
3: for goodness sake. I mean, although to be honest, on this evidence, that can only be a bonus, uh, surely.
2: Anyway, complaining that the paper reviewed Drake in the weekend and not him, uh, Waters said to the reporter, "Now I quote: I'm far, far, far more important than any of them ever will be. Mm-hmm. So imagine being that self-confident. Um, though maybe it's more of a burden than the blessing, as you must go around the world seeing any." tiny negative in your life as a personal slight against you you know i I was imagining you know i i asked for a coca-cola and you've brought me pepsi i'm far more important than you get it changed now some some pop stars jules think it's all Mm. about them and that is often reflected in in the songs they write too
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, the tedium that is Roger Waters. I mean, I so someone sent me a meme recently that I very much enjoyed that said, Not all men, yet somehow always a man. And I and I don't feel dissimilar um about this situation. Also the, the age old phrase, carry yourself with the confidence of a mediocre white man. And I do again, I feel very similarly here. I mean, the moment has passed, has it not? Given if this album was was forty years ago. I mean the, the tone change. the tone of his comment. One of these things is almost like Spinal Tap, this kind of mm. huge, elaborate show. Roger Waters, um, uh, you know, um, quoted as saying, um, I'm not trying to make a personal attack. I think you are. Mm. I'm just saying it seemed odd. And by the way, with all due respect to The weekend or Drake or any of them, I'm far, far, far more important than any of them will be. Um, however many billions of streams they've got despite how many p- more people listen to their music than listen to <laughs> mine they, I don't know, but there is stuff going on here that is fundamentally important to all of our lives what i just you know i, I have you got they brought the inflatable pig back is that what they're saying i just oh well, i mean again i can't even terrence it's, mm-hmm. this idea when people become And we've said this before on the podcast, I think, and it will always be relevant. When people reach a certain level of fame and stardom, that they lose people around them that will say no to them. They won't have them anymore. As a result of which, they just lose this perspective. And like you say, it does become all about them. And then they write tedious songs that we all have to do. We all have to endure Um, writing songs, ranting about their breakups. I mean, my most and my most hated song ever and i think i've i've slagged this on the podcast before and i will never stop snagging this song mm. off um the uh, life's been good by joe walsh where he <laughs> sings about how wonderful his life is and it's like for god's sake you know could you not have done this at home and and I can understand why people want to sing about the breakup of relationships. They're they're key points in people's lives. Having said that, though, um, it's, it, sometimes you do think, you know, I mean, I really like Adele, but she seems to have she mm. seems to constantly make records that have big sad ballads about breakups in, and that seems that never seems to have changed. She she calls her album, you know, the 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 the, the ages of her life. So nine, so nineteen, twenty one, twenty five, and thirty. Yeah they all seem to have similar themes don't they really maybe it's a demonstration that we get to a certain point in our lives or for some people their fame and then nothing evolves they just they just sort of stay at that point really um there was um T- Taylor Swift is also the queen of writing songs about famous ex boyfriends um she um she uh, so so this is the most weird but interesting thing taylor swift um wrote a song called all too well for her album red in 2012 various people spectated that it was about jake uh jake gillen the actor that she reportedly went out with for a few months in 2010 um taylor swift as people might know is re-recording all of her albums at the moment um having got the rights back. And so she's doing, they're all called Taylor's version, which I rather like. And so she created um, a 10 minute version of the song for her (coughs) re-recording last year, then directed a video for it, which had a, a, you know, a a Sadie Sink from Stranger Things and a chap called Dylan O'Brien who looks exactly like Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, I Lord. mean, that wasn't wasn't enormously, you know, sort of helpful in calming the the waters. There are some um, there are some albums that that are great for their art you know despite them bearing Mm. their soul or perhaps because of them bearing their soul blue by Joni Mitchell for example is a record we both love and that that is goes into great detail it's a fine balance to get because of course there have been some if you're not writing about yourself and your sort of personal thoughts you might be writing about the right the wider world and you know, I would still probably rather listen to Taylor Swift than We Are the World by the USA for Africa. But um it's 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 <laughs> it's a tricky one, this. It's I think it's more frustrating. It's not so much pop stars writing about themselves, it's them continually remaking the same album, like in a way, Adele mm. and her mm. and her numbers sequence really. I don't mind hearing about people's lives as long as it's interesting and as long as you sort of switch it up a bit.
2: I'm not sure if it's Self possession or a com- complete lack of awareness. I mean, I like like I see the distinction like you do uh, between a pop star opening up their heart and writing about emotional events that have happened mm. to them, like Joni with Blue and Jackson Brown with any number of songs. I think though, sometimes stars use possibly abuse their position to have a pop at people and as you say Mm. often partners who don't have their level of power uh, i think ariana grande and taylor swift tend to do this quite frequently Mm. but I think just to um, you know, bring it back to w- what we were saying, none of them though seem to have the same degree of pomp as mm. Roger Waters. He's—he's he's on a par. He—he he yes. often reminds me of Prince Harry. You know, Prince Harry mm. left Eton with a B in art and a D in geography, yet feels he's such an expert he can lecture us all through the United Nations in his dior suit uh speaking about how climate change is wreaking havoc on the planet and then flying back to california mm. on a private jet um so, you know I, I sort of tend to say well thank you for your input prince harry and roger waters but a, a period of silence would be probably most welcomed
3: well exactly and you feel you feel like saying to him when he's like oh i'm far more important than it's like mm-hmm. you're not because if you genuinely were then the paper would have reviewed your gig and we wouldn't be having this conversation really true, true. Coming up next, Denise Welsh, Allison Hammond, is mm. the rise of
2: Hun culture.
3: I can't wait to talk about this.
2: That's right after Brother Jack Today
3: So I chose this song earlier in the week because I, it's such a great sunny sort of uh, sunny sort of track. It often features on playlists that I send to people because I love it, and it's taken on a rather more sort of poignant choice now, as it was first introduced to me by a chap called Richard Dennett, who's a, a, a DJ uh, and bar manager locally. And I I knew Richard because I was you know sort of DJing in bars, and he was always incredibly kind and always good for a chat. And unfortunately, 24 hours after choosing this song, I found out that he very sadly passed away and it was richard that introduced me to this tune actually and was a big fan of it so i will now play that for my friend richard dennett Mm. i really hope whatever happens next in the afterlife i hope that he is watching lots of football and playing lots of funk but anyway that was brother jack mcduff surely one of the better epithets but used Mm -hmm. by a jazz person and hot barbecue It's amazing how prolific some of the old jazz people were Mm. back in the 50s
2: and 60s. I hadn't heard of your man, Macduff. And Mm. when I was looking him up, I noticed that in 1963 alone, he released five albums in that wow, year. That's good that's going, that's amazing.
3: Isn't it? That's incredible. So puts, productive. Puts the
2: Beatles in, 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 in shade, doesn't it, really?
3: Well, it does, which is hilarious, <laughs> considering how productive they are. Although, what about our, our friends that we've mentioned in the podcast before, King Gizzard and oh, the Lizard Wizards? Yeah. They are a band that seem to exist purely to make 12 different albums for records yes. to day every year. So maybe, <laughs> maybe Jack McDuff was the King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard of his day when i
2: was when i was young there were children that i was not allowed to play with mm, uh, they, 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 exactly they probably went to state schools maybe their mothers went out to work they were described as common and i wasn't allowed to play with them lest their common ways somehow infiltrated oh. into my eight-year-old world Zooming forward through time to the current Mm. day, I've been reading about the rise of Hun Hun culture, H-E-L, which seems to include people who present daytime shows on ITV. Yes. um, The the sort of people who exclaim it's Prosecco o'clock. And addicts of the soap opera EastEnders. Um, Primary Huns include Nick Grimshaw, Anthea Turner and Kerry Katona. Jules... Perhaps it's a kinder step calling these people Huns um because in the 1960s they would have been called common
3: Mm, absolutely. Well, I, I very much enjoyed this. And there's an excellent article by Michael Craig about this in The Guardian. One of my favourite ever opening sort of couple of sentences. What links Alison Hammond, Chanel the lost African grey parrot, Nigel, Nigella Lawson's electric oven, a woman on a shed roof asking, did somebody say Beverigino? Natalie Cassidy from EastEnders, OK.com and Kat Slater. If you're rereading that question for the 10th time, chances are you've yet to fully immerse yourself in the leper print and Prosecco world of the Han, a very British subculture that's sweeping the internet quicker than you can calligraph its wine o'clock summer onto a piece of driftwood. I mean, that is, <laughs> I, I'm reminded... Um, before I, <laughs> we unpack Hun culture, I'm reminded of a particularly enjoyable incident in 2019 during the Grand National where there were various h- horses that were tipped to do well. There was a horse that started the day on odds of 100 to 1, whose name was Live, Laugh, Love. Um, <laughs> as, as you know, the, the one of the mottos of true yeah. Hun culture. All one word, all that kind of, whatever the order it's in. Mm. And um basically um. We watched with great amusement as, you know, they go round the sort of the crowds mm. beforehand and they ask, you know, who people have bet on. And there would be endless repeats of a rather bluff, serious looking man in a tweed cap saying he'd tipped one of the, you know, one of the favourites. Mm. And then they would ask his wife, who she had backed, and she would say, Live, laugh, love um, and all of and its odds went down from 100 to one to 25 to one before they started, because so many it has to say Huns were putting money on it. I'm sorry that the, that the Hun horse did not win the 2019 Grand National. That would have been a great pleasure. I, I, I think this is great. I it seems to be unapologetic in what it is. And this is what I'm quite enjoying about Hun culture. There, there, there can be legitimate criticisms of Britpop in the '90s, in that lots of people were pretending to be more common than they were. Therefore, um, very well expressed by Jarvis Cocker's uh, Magnum Opus, "Common People" by Pulp. You'll never live like common people. You'll ever, you ever, you know, you you'll never live in this life without you know you'll never live your life without the sense of you've got no control over things and that actually poverty is quite miserable when it comes down to it and you know all these, these middle class people pretending to be sort of poorer than they are is very irritating I don't get the impression that so called Hun culture is like that really it hmm. seems to be an unapologetic celebration of living life how you want to and um, the, the, my friend you know it's a bit quote unquote basic but I'm, I'm very sort of of enjoyable. I mean, obviously, I ha- I love the fact that it's a little bit, there's like the Hun equivalent of Polari in that there's this mm. kind of weird sort of language where you go on holly bobs and, and, you know, like you say, Prosecco o'clock, all of that kind of stuff. And I, I, I think it's silly and harmless is my feeling on this. And it's actually quite a nice way of... You know, celebrating, you know, sort of normal people and normal culture, and also there's a good um, Gareth Howes um, um describes it as laughing with rather than laughing at, mm. and he's written the beginner's guide to Hun and he says this is great. It's a safe space between straight culture and LGBTQ plus culture. If the straights get banter, then the Huns get this, and I quite I love the idea that it's sort of a an alliance between often middle-aged sort of women who who haven't come from hugely you know well-off backgrounds and gay gay men I just I think it's it's a really lovely it shows that we've got more in common than we than we than we don't if you see what I mean it's it's a very diverse and strange mix of people across different cultures it's I, I love it I think it's really entertaining and and it's like you say it's um it's it's spawned all these things sort of sort of a uh, uh, spin-offs there's a queer pop pop club night sorry called High hun which i quite like <laughs> and there are various primary huns and there are different there are different sort of tiers of hun cities so so the primary huns are described as natalie Casty, aka sonia from eastenders carrie katona as you would mentioned and anthea turner also vanessa feltz um <laughs> This chap says you can. This chap, um, uh, James Kingsley Scott, that sort of t- that that started various accounts around social media accounts around this, says um, you can narrow down the definition of a Hun to a trier. He says You're g- she's going to put on the little black dress and do it all with glitz and glam. It's a feel the fear but Hun it anyway attitude. Which I'm loving as a kind of live sentence. Mm. He also said he's got. His personal top two hunts, Lisa Scott Lee from Steps, Ruth Langsford from This Morning and also reality TV star Gemma the GC Collins from The Only Way is Essex, who seems to have a strange hold on popular culture that I still don't quite mm understand um very he has a very the person writing the article has a very entertaining 10 minute interview with Kim Woodburn um of Kim and Aggie how clean is your house fame um she says um you know if I'm a hun person I'm not aware of it but if I am I am I don't feel we're huns to Terence, but I feel very much allied with the huns I just think that sort of <laughs> harmless celebration and enjoyment of life and also showing solidarity to 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 people that are also in marginalized positions like you are you know the the virulent as my friend put it the virulent block voting of you know middle-aged women and gay men often is enough to win x-factor so so you know my my view is live laugh hun i'm absolutely into it fair play to them
2: just as a slight sidebar to this, a mm. Kim, Kim Woodburn that you just quoted, who seems to be famous for no particular reason. She's mm. she quoted in that. I was, I was looking at that Guardian piece that you mm. referred to. Um, she's described uh, as a cornerstone of this hum culture. Um, I just saw a quote from her. She, she says of people who use social media, they need to get a life. Most people are a bunch of scum today. Oh, dear. That's but very pleasant should, of her, isn't it? She
3: should be kicked out the Huns, and actually, mm. she's described as a problematic Hun in ah, this article. There we are. And I think she very much is uh, more more Attila the Hun rather than you know yes, the, uh, the, the yes. Prosecco Hun basis. Yeah, it was Attila a true Hun. Write <laughs> in and let us know your views.
2: Well, there's your Hun culture, and, and we've talked before about people using mobile phones to film gigs even some people holding up huge ipads to block the view of about 20 people behind them and um, you know i mentioned last week how i enjoy mm. watching those videos of sting performing to about 30 yes. people at his vineyard in tuscany um, yes it's funny because when um the camera pans around all you see is 30 people thrusting phones towards his face mm. everybody is looking at their phones nobody is looking at sting and there's a real polarization in this um charlie xcx i don't know if hmm. i'm saying that right and billy i think how you say it yes. right? and billy eilish are re- they reported to encourage fans to that's film on their phones whilst others kate bush and now this week Bob Dylan um, has now banned phones (laughs) outright. Um, Bjork and Beyonce both banned mm. phones at gigs. My question is, Jules, is this an age thing? Young artists who have grown up with phones Mm. almost permanently attached to themselves don't seem to have the problem that Dylan and others others, um, have.
3: I'm a I have to say, I'm it's unusual that me and Bob Dylan find ourselves <laughs> alighted because usually I'd hate his I just think he's a grumpy old wang in general and I just am very irritated by him. However, I'm very much enjoying his um his moments. Um and this is a very well written article by Ed Power from the Telegraph. He said A hard rain was about to fall on the bloke down the front who just whipped out his phone. Take pictures or don't take pictures, said Bob Dylan. We can either play or we can pose, okay? and i quite i quite like that mm. as an attitude i think you're right in that this is a generational thing i think it's um I, you could argue that that you know a room full of people recording the uh, the concert is actually part of the experience at the point where you can feel a bit left out if you're not filming and everybody else's is, which is really strange Um finds can enhance events Um, this is a slightly different slightly sort of off off-step thing but I went went to see Brighton play football Sorry, I went to see England play football at the Amex in Brighton and it was talked about on the podcast the other week Mm -hmm. and there's traditionally a moment now and I presume this happens in all sort of night football matches where towards the end of the game Everybody, it starts like a Mexican wave. It starts in one point, and then it sort of spreads around the stadium. Everybody with their iPhone or whatever the Android equivalent is um, turns on the torch on their phone, so you get a little sort of light shining out the back of it, and you hold it up, and everyone does it. And it's really lovely to see all the lights around the stadium. So it is possible for phone use to to work. (laughs) Um, Apparently... Many of us are hypocrites when it comes to phones at gigs. Forty-nine percent of us in this poll confessed to having snapped or shot on a handset at a show. Um, I am. Um, it's not black and it's not black and white. Um, so Lucy Spraggan, who is a singer-songwriter, who I think came to fame on X Factor, one of those shows, says, and I think this is very sort of um, well put. Um she says there are two sides to this blade. Um people being able to interact, record, take pictures of the show, and even FaceTime other friends is great. It can sometimes be a bit of a distraction. She says that she finds um she doesn't find flashes or physical attributes distressing, but she does find seeing people having conversations weird. Mm. Um having said that though, um it's I, I I get that it's um it's it's interesting in that in um, the sort of the young people that do it. I So we've talked previously, again, on the podcast about how expensive shows are to go to now, how how difficult it is to get down the front, how, you know, with Adele charging huge amounts of money, mm. lots of big acts charging huge amounts of money. And in a way, if you can't afford to get, I mean, the amount of gigs I've, I've not been to and then able to watch on YouTube because someone has filmed on their mm. phone, obviously mm. it's not quite the Fair same. Point. But, but you know, if, if you're going to – you feel like saying to these artists, look, you're going to have to make a choice here. If you're going to charge people sometimes three-figure sums to get ordinary tickets to your shows, you can't blame them if they then – first, you can't blame them if they then want to film as part of the experience, if you see what I mean, to relive that at home. And also, not everyone's going to be able to go to your gig on those prices. So it is nice, actually, that some fans can still see – part of your shows and we seem, i don't know if this is true if this is if i've got this right but some years ago i seem to remember that virtually every band that i like i've got a video or a dvd of them in concert where they would have a concert film made of a tour and then you would buy it so if you didn't go to the tour you could buy wonderful electric by Goldfrapp. you could buy please leave quietly by pj harvey you could you could buy all of these uh, live under blackpool lights by the white stripes you could buy all of these dvds Does that still happen? Because it doesn't feel to me like it does. And if it it doesn't happen, then why not allow people to film on their camera phones? My my view is and I have sympathy, particularly if you're someone like Bjork, who is doing a very elaborate stage show and you've got lots of sort of, you know, I I can get why you want people to concentrate on that. Equally, why don't you make your own film of the show and then sell it and people will probably Mm. buy it?
2: That's a, that's a good point. I mean, I do see it from the perspective of wanting to um, have a keep uh, sake of it. Yeah. Or more pertinently, if you weren't able to go to the gig, then you can at least view it later yes. on, or, on YouTube. But I, personally, I've doubled down on this over the years. I mm. did used to film a song or two if I went to a gig. But then... I later realised that I never looked back at them, and I think oh, that's it's,
3: interesting. Yeah,
2: I think it's and when you do, you know, if you, if you do look at a clip, you know, I just think, it, you know, you're looking at okay, the phones, you know, the cameras mm-hmm. are good on phones these days, but nonetheless, you're looking at a shaky handheld, um, f- obviously phone held up sort of thirty mm-hmm. yards away from. I I think it's far more memorable to actually enjoy the performance as a, as a natural visual and oral experience rather than be looking at a 4-inch mm. by 3-inch screen alongside 70,000 other people. It must look ludicrous from the stage. You're forcing yes. out your best and you have a sea of mobile phones blocking the faces of the audience there to see you. I, th- I just think that's completely soulless.
3: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I get why people find mm. that find that and maybe that's where it's a young person thing like you say in the, the people like charlie xcx and billy eilish have grown up with camera phones in their lives they probably can't remember a time when there weren't camera phones no. and i and and you know they are less bothered by it. clearly
2: coming right up grooving on the dance floor to disco edits mm. that's next after billy bremner Played with everyone, Nick Lowe, Dave Edmonds, Elvis Costello, The Pretenders, Mm. that's Billy Bremner's guitar on Back on the Chain Gang. Um, This splendid solo single, the 125th single released on Stiff Records from 1981, still sounds great today, Billy Bremner and Loud Music in Cars.
3: It was nice of him to be able to fit this in around his busy footballing career, I think. My apologies to Billy Bremner, who spent his whole life going, no, I didn't play for Leeds, I suspect. But um, no, enjoyed that very much.
2: Must be such a burden, mustn't it? Everywhere mm. you go, if you go to uh, uh, the dry cleaners or a doctor's appointment or to the opticians. Yes. Uh, oh, Billy Bremner, like the football. Yeah, yeah, that's
3: right. I worked When I worked in Marks and Spencer's in my student holiday job, I worked with a woman who was called Jennifer Saunders. Um, (laughs) We had several in that workplace, actually. We had Jennifer Saunders. We had Heather Small that worked in the accounts (laughs) office. We we had several sort of... And when I first started off as a... um, as a as a young conveyancer, i used to end up accidentally specializing in people that had famous names that weren't the same name so i had a um i had a johnny ball i had um <laughs> oh yes michael howard um the not then leader of the conservative party oh i am um, yeah a different chap who i suspect might not have approved so yeah it's 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 really it must be just so so frustrating when i was um
2: Briefly Z list famous in the 1980s, mm. appearing on local radio. I was occasionally asked to DJ at gigs, filling mm. in between bands at local venues, mainly nice. universities and colleges. But my method. Um, was just to play a sequence of vinyl singles or album tracks that I really liked with no yes. particular thought to getting people dancing or even to arrange the tracks according to genre or anything at all It was just random but if you take the role seriously if you 're a proper dj like yourself juliet there's mm, there 's a great deal to take into account there was a a piece in the in the papers this week that bewildered me a little and I, I know Juliet will will shed some light for us. It's the growth of disco edits, tracks that sample or chop up familiar disco Mm. songs to bring a new dynamic. And indeed, the current UK number one is an example of this um, reworking a Philly disco track from 1979. Mm. Um, Here's the first basic question, Jules. I apologize for its potential naivety. Is it a DJ's aim in the live environment? to keep people on the dance floor and is that how success is judged by the number of people are hopping and a bopping in front of you
3: well yes i think that's that's a really good question actually i suppose it depends what the what the tone of the night is and what the venue is and what you're required to do there are some gigs i've done like you say playing between bands i do this quite a lot actually i get asked to do these sort of gigs i really enjoy these gigs because and the, there isn't the pressure to make people dance between bands, you're not there to do that, what you're there to do is to build a good atmosphere in which for the band to come onto it, it's, that's how I've always treated it anyway and just building up the atmosphere very gradually, I really enjoy that so so the aim to that is not to come out with lots of dance bangers necessarily um, usually I do, uh, personally I do like to keep a floor, a floor pretty full if it's a sort of disco style environment, I mean obviously it, 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 there there is a slightly more cynical thing behind this as well, which is that, if you can get people very sort of hot and sweaty and dancing, they're then likely to buy more drinks, which will mm. very much please the patrons running the bar that you're DJ, sorry, the, the owners running the bar that you DJ, and and then they're more likely to ask you back. So there is that sort of economic element to it. I it reminds me actually, I did a gig, I did a private party for some nice friends of mine that were leaving town to move to Scotland. So they we're literally going as far away as you can from Hastings in the, in this country, and they said, "Oh, we just want to dance, we just want to be we're, the the, mm. the the chap of the couple is a chap." Um him and his bandmate did a set and then they said, Oh, could you then DJ afterwards? And I DJ from nine till twelve. And I just decided by that point that we, I wasn't going to bother building up. I would just go straight for it. I did regret it very slightly in that I went out really hard. And when I saw various people, mostly women, leaving the dance floor, staggering away, covered in in sweat after an hour and a half, I did think, oh, maybe I did go out a bit hard at <laughs> the beginning. Maybe I have worked these people too hard. I mean, when you're a DJ, you always sort of feed off the energy in a room. So if something goes well, you want to do sort of more things like that sort of thing. Um, When I'm DJing on vinyl, there's an additional sort of element to it in that it's not like when you DJ on a laptop and you've basically got access to any song you could ever want. I usually only have two or three boxes of vinyl with me. I have to work with what I've got in my box, essentially. Mm. And I have a rough idea after doing this as long as I do. The kind of stuff that goes well together, I'll pack a box each time and think about what the venue, what the party atmosphere Uh, going might like. You plan a playlist in advance, and if you do, do you change that? according to how you feel
2: the mood in the room is
3: yes so I don't necessarily plan a playlist people always come up to me and ask what my playlist is I don't necessarily plan the list from start to finish I do have a think about what mood I'm in what the what the venue is like what the event is and the sort of things that I think might suit that event and go well together so I do when I'm putting records in I do think about the records that I put in yes I I have been known to sort of go off into different areas although again if you're carrying vinyl there's a limit to the the extent that you mm. can do that which is why it's very important to pack well and actually compilations good compilations are really useful because then you can get you can get much more whatever mm. the space equivalent is of having more bang for your buck you get you get more you get more space in your place or whatever however you want to put that but it's an interesting puzzle and actually is, I just ever a, a notion
2: puzzle. sorry is there ever a notion to play you you were just saying about you know sort of women glowing and perspiring their way yes. to the their tables. Is there ever a notion? Again, this, uh, forgive my naivety. Mm. I don't go to clubs or discos. Is there mm. ever a notion to play some? modern-day equivalent of the Eagles or Soft Rock or Joni Mitchell, just to give people a chance for a lovely sit-down.
3: Well, I mean, I, the problem is is that I fear that if people sit down, they might not get up again. So, oh, unfortunately, so. I I don't tend to do that. There are times when one feels that one could, and if you do have a situation where lots of people have gone to sit down, Yes, you can slip in a track or two that are just sort of nice for people to listen to. And, and again, I've, I've played bars before which don't have a lot of dancing. People just want to come and listen to nice music whilst they drink. And so, so it's so I, I can I have a sort of a third gear. But um, yeah, my my instinct is always just to play really good dance bank and you know bangers of all sorts that make people want to dance. As I say, I don't play dance music, but I do like to play music that makes people want to dance. So this new um,
2: description, Disco Edits, it's not sampling, but it's taking a track from the past and adding beats or loops yes. for it to appeal to a, a, a new dance audience. And I suppose it's fair enough. Everyone wins. Writers and performers get a new mm. mix of life and a new generation enjoy, enjoy themselves in pubs and clubs.
3: Absolutely. And it's not particularly new, this, actually. It's that, it's, not, I can't remember what the Latin is. but that was. Probably... I thought, this, you know, this, this doesn't yeah. sound
2: like a new thing to me on this has been going on for ages isn't
3: it it's been going on since the 70s when it was done on reel-to-reel tapes back then and then of course samplers being being commercially available and affordable rate changed sort of 80s and 90s hip-hop forever i think really it was in in that you could sort of use samplers to to sort of recreate bit you know the same bits of music that you can then do bits over the top of um I yeah, like you said, this isn't new. It's it's um, that phrase. There's nothing that new that exists under the sun applies here. Um, I really like this. Um, it's interesting that um, this comment by DJ James Hillard, who's from the 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 outfit Horse Meat Disco, who are very well thought of and do these sort of club nights, and he said that they didn't play edits for years because he said they largely took all the fun bits out. Yeah i agree but as he's played to bigger audiences he quite enjoys um you know people making sure that the original vibe isn't lost but they bring the songs up to modern production standards the idea that that you've got things that can quantize beats so that it makes disco records easier to 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 sort of mix into really it's um there's also sort of um there there are copyright reasons here. So there have been lots of small and anonymous runs of vinyl pressings aimed at DJs, is that most of the music on the disco edit scene was never officially licensed. Uh. So it's, it's a bit sort of tricky. And, you know, DJs and editors... You do feel sorry for them. They've got this kind of crazy Herculean task of trying to find sort of legal rights holders for obscure songs for people dating back to the seventies, where music contracts were sort of hazy even at best, really, mm. in terms of whether or not they existed. So that does make that does make sort of um, that tricky. But no, I very much enjoy this idea of fashioning something new from old things i think i don't enjoy pointless retreads as we've talked about previously on the mm. podcast and, and pointless remakes and that sort of thing but if you're bringing something new and fun to something pre-existing i'm all for it
2: mm. i find that's very really, really interesting to um, get an insight into that thanks mm. very much for listening this week um everybody uh, thank you very much
3: yes as always i agree with seti thank you
2: and uh, Julia is a versatile presenter and there's not so many disco edits in your radio show.
3: No, although I'm not above playing Donna Summer, obviously. Mm-hmm. I um, I do smooth sailing and that's on Noisebox Radio, noiseboxradio.com from 7 to 9 p.m. on Sunday evenings, playing things in a more down tempo, really. So yacht rock, classic pop, M.O.R., easy listening, Oh, way well, to sail away your troubles uh, at, the, at the end of an old week and to begin a new one to play us out a lovely summery track from one
2: of the greatest bands of the last 30 years
3: couldn't have put it better myself said he and one of my favorite summer bands in terms of the the wistfulness that they that they have in in how they're um You know how how they perform and, and how how they write i think that there's such a sort of drifting late summer evening feeling about saint etienne and i've always felt that way and i love this this is a treat this is saint etienne and hug my soul